This is the Victory Podcast. Every week, we'll share an inspiring message about God's grace and forgiveness for you, wherever you're at in life. Your victory starts now. This morning's selection on our summer playlist is Psalm 8. King David wrote the psalm. He had obviously looked heavenward at night. He saw the moon, he saw the stars. But he did more than that. He began to think about the creator God who stood behind the universe. And then he began to think about his personal relationship to this awesome God. And in this psalm, he asks some great questions. Let's listen. Lord, our God, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. What is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds, and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. We pray. Lord, this morning lead us along the same path that you led King David when you led him to look around carefully and thoughtfully at your creation, and then to recognize what an awesome and loving creator and preserver you are. Then move us to thank and praise you for who you are and for what you do. And especially, lead us to remember that you really care about us. Amen. Time Magazine had an article with the title, How the Plus Sign Took Over the World. <laughs> and maybe you've noticed this in media and in publications. Company after company, industry after industry, business after business, they are appropriating what used to be the uh, mathematical symbol, the plus sign, and they're putting it on their own letterheads. Here's a few examples of this that I think all of us are familiar with. We've seen it, we've heard it, yeah, it's there. The using the plus sign is supposed to convey the idea of more, or better, or premium, things like that. Well, this morning, we're gonna do that. 
On the basis of Psalm 8 and then other portions of Scripture which make use of Psalm 8, we're going to acknowledge the Creator, uh, but the Creator is not just a Creator. To use the words that King David used there, majestic, we're going to have this as our focus. Our majestic Lord is our Creator plus. More than just one aspect of power or wisdom, creator plus. So, with that in mind, picture King David going out at night, looking upward, seeing the moon, seeing the stars. To the naked, unassisted eye, from planet Earth, in all directions, about 9,000 stars are visible to the naked eye. Now, David probably saw more than you and I can normally see because we're often city dwellers and we have a lot of the competition, the uh, light pollution from cities. But that's still impressive. And with telescopes, especially those space telescopes that they've situated in the heavens, in 1990 was the launching of the Hubble Space Telescope. And then just last December, in December of 2021, the James Webb Space Telescope was launched and is in position and the photographs and the evidences that those telescopes can pick up on. Whew. Until about 30 years ago, anybody who asked a scientist the question, how many stars are there? There was a pretty standard answer. Well, the average galaxy has about 100 billion stars. And there are about 100 billion galaxies. Oh, that sounds simple enough. Just multiply 100 billion by 100 billion to get the number of stars. Ah, but since we have the uh, space telescopes, things have changed. Now the standard kind of answer is, well, we still believe that um, about 100 billion stars are in the average galaxy, but we also now know that there are at least two trillion galaxies. Ugh. We're talking about, again, astronomical numbers that ultimately just dull the mind completely. You just overload and you turn it off. But let us just play it safe. Rather than using numbers like so many, many sextillion, this and that, let's just say that the universe, as we are able to perceive it, contains so many stars that no one can even come close to counting or accurately estimating how many there are. That is impressive. 
And that is why David began and ended the psalm with these beautiful phrases. In the first and last verse, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. But the moment we're confronted with that kind of an information, logically, reasonably, we begin to think, we are really puny. We are definitely small, so utterly insignificant in the big scope of things. And, well, this is a description that I have read from more than one source, trying to describe with a little bit of humor, but a lot of accuracy, <laughs> about the human race. The human family has been described as a semi-visible rash on the skin of a sub-microscopic planet in a second-rate solar system. We're nothing. We're just so inadequate, deficient as creatures. And of course, that kind of logical, reasonable thinking occurred to King David. And so he asks the question, and we go back to Psalm 8, and he wrote, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? How can that awesome God, the master of galaxies, the creator of the universe, care about the human race, much less an individual human being? Well, David, <laughs> thanks be to God, David did not pause on this one. He immediately then gave an answer. You have made them, human beings, a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. We have been called the crown of creation. Certainly nothing that we worked for, deserved, or earned, but it is God's decision as the creator plus to give us this dignity, this honor, and rule over other creatures on planet Earth. We don't even know how many different species there are of other creatures. David saw the domesticated animals, he observed the wild animals, those in the air, those in the waters. We don't know. Between five and 10 million is what the biologists and zoologists are going to tell us. 8.7 million species is the figure that's most often used. Once again, who is sufficient to grasp and digest all of this? And they're so strong, and they're so fast many times, and they're so big, and they have capabilities that we can only dream of, flying through the air, swimming, the way that they're capable of doing this and doing that. 
and the Lord says, you're in charge. You, I give to them. We go back to Genesis chapter one, where all of this began. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and in the bird, over the birds in the sky and over the every living creature that moves along the ground. Such privileges, such responsibilities, such honor has been given to us. And that's why today we say, with as an echo to Psalm 8, our majestic Lord is our creator plus. He is majestic in greatness plus love. Love for us creatures. It's his doing, his decision. But there's something that David did not mention in Psalm 8. Oh, he mentioned it in other Psalms, to be sure. But there's a dark side to the reality that we know. It's not happy news. So I'm going to let the prophet Isaiah remind us of it. And I'll do that now. Isaiah chapter 40. All people are like grass. And all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. Surely the nations are like a drop in the bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. Yeah, the frailty, the smallness, the relative insignificance of human beings is certainly there as opposed to God's immense power. But there's something else. Do you notice that the tone, that the manner in which the words are phrased has changed here too? There's no subject, there's, there's no bringing up the, um, the dignity, the honor, the crown of creation language. Uh, the uh, privileges and responsibilities that we have. What happened? Why are they so different? Well, you know the answer. You jump from Genesis chapter 1 to Genesis chapter 3, and there you have the disobedience of Adam and Eve. There you have the fall of mankind, all human beings, into a sinful condition with now every generation inherited guilt, inherited corruption. We're not just small and frail. We're also often not nice. And we often live life and think about things, it's all about me. And we don't rule creation with authority and wisdom we don't take adequate care of the environment. We don't take adequate long-term care of other creatures. We have a lot to be ashamed of, to be sure. 
And that is, well, let's let the Apostle Paul tell us the truth with unvarnished words. We go to Romans chapter 3. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Look at those words for a moment. He's, he's actually quoting a series of Old Testament passages and stringing them together so that we get the message. But now, honestly, look at the words. Can you walk away from those words and then say, I wonder what he means by that? Wow. No one, no one, no one, no one is good. Altogether, we've gone bad. His description in that context, he's talking about the way every human being comes into this world by nature. The way we're born into this world. We didn't have a vote on it. This is the fallen mankind. And the New Testament addresses that. In fact, it does so often by talking about Psalm 8. Now, now we're going to turn our attention in the New Testament to the second chapter of the um, uh, letter to the Hebrews. So this is the letter or the epistle that was written to Hebrew or Jewish Christians. And it refers to Psalm 8. He knew that these Jewish people knew the Old Testament well. He, they knew the Psalm 8 backward and forward. And he quotes from it, but then he adds some additional information. So we go to Hebrews chapter 2. What is mankind that you are mindful of them, a son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honor and put everything under their feet. Yet, yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them. But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. This, this God who is great plus loving, he is the one that reminds us of the way things really are. We're no longer in uh, Genesis chapter 1. We're no longer just looking the way that David did in, in, in Psalm 8. We see that our authority and rule over other creatures is often kind of shallow and hollow. Neither you nor I walk into a room that may have lions and tigers and bears or sharks or scorpions or those cute puffer fish. They're deadly. We're not in control. Our authority is just a shadow of what it once was in the Garden of Eden. 
And that's what the writer to the Hebrews impresses upon. At present, we don't see this. But keep looking. What do we see? And there's where everything changes. We see Jesus. We see him, true God, put below angels, actually put beneath other human beings, that he might become nothing and that he might taste death for everyone. But what is he now? He is currently crowned with glory and honor. The resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ after his death on our behalf, after his crucifixion, the ascension to the right hand, the position of power and authority in the universe, that is now the home, the legitimate home of a human being, Jesus Christ, true God and true man. This is where we focus our attention. And there we go back to our focus of the day. Our majestic Lord is our creator. He is majestic in greatness and love for us as creatures. And he is also majestic in love plus salvation for us sinners. Salvation. He didn't just say, I love you. He showed it. He demonstrated it. He proved it. He verified it through the doing and the dying of our Lord Jesus Christ, and he tasted death on our behalf, taking all of our guilt, all of the responsibility for our sins upon his own shoulders and paying the price that divine justice required. And now he is crowned with glory and majesty at the right hand of the Father. There is the path that is set aside for us. So, I'm going to ask you to do something now. It's not going to take very long, just a few seconds. But when you hear the message, God is great, God is an awesome God, God is the God of majesty, when you hear that kind of phraseology, what picture comes to your mind? How do you picture the greatness of God? You have a picture? Okay, you have a lot of things to choose from, don't you? Yeah, the, the creator of the galaxies is certainly one of those, and uh, the stars, and oh my goodness, that is greatness, and that's awesomeness, to be sure. Or perhaps you gave thought to the way our Lord Jesus Christ, true God as well as true man, how he was able to demonstrate authority over wind and wave, or how he could tell uh, demons to depart and to stop tyrannizing other people. There was not a long, drawn-out argument there. He simply dispensed with them. Maybe the feeding of the 5,000, maybe the creation of food, sustenance for so many at one time. Perhaps the raising of the dead, uh, the healing of crippled bodies, the banishment of disease in people who came to him, all of that. But there's something else. Let's go back to Psalm 8. This time just focus on the opening two verses. David wrote, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. 
Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. He's using the evidence of children and infants who have been given the gift of faith in their Savior. He's using their hearts and their lips, their praise, as evidence of God's greatness. I don't think I would have gone there on my own, but he sure did. And then we ask the question, what does this look like? How do I picture this accurately? We have a picture, don't we? We go back to the first Palm Sunday when Jesus on a, on a donkey, the foal of a donkey, rode triumphantly into the city of Jerusalem five days before his crucifixion. And there he had the people singing Hosanna. They were actually just singing Psalm 118 in that case. Hosanna, save us, we pray. Hosanna in the highest. And the children were singing. <laughs> the youngest among them were singing to Jesus. And the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the elders, they weren't happy. They were galled at this. But it didn't stop it. And then that, that same day, later on Palm Sunday, Jesus went to the Temple Mount and into the temple. And there we read in Matthew chapter 21, the blind and the lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. But when again the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth your praise? He goes back to Psalm 8. And he sees the, the singing and the praise that he's receiving from the youngest among them as an expression of his greatness, ultimate greatness. And that tells us an awful lot. He is the creator plus, plus love and love plus salvation. And by sending the Holy Spirit through baptism, through the Lord's Supper, through the word of God as it is taught, he sends the Holy Spirit to work faith, to change hearts, to create the desire to praise, and if it gets on people's nerves, Jesus says, I know what they're doing. And they're just fulfilling Psalm 8. That is the greatest kind of greatness. Amen. Let us pray. Lord of glory and Lord of love, keep on telling us more and more about yourself. Lead us to acknowledge with reverence your power, your majesty, your sovereignty over all things. Then guide us also to marvel at your compassion, your mercy, 
and move us to trust your redeeming love for us. Continue to maintain praise through children and infants, through baptism as well as instruction by parents and family members in the home. How majestic is your name in all the earth. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Victory Podcast, brought to you by Victory of the Lamb in Franklin, Wisconsin. For video sermon archives, more information about us, and to let us know how we can meet you where you're at, go to victoryofthelamb.com.